Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast from Firms Consulting. Today we're going to continue in the theme of interviewing some of our past clients who have had interesting experiences in their attempts to join McKinsey, Bain or BCG and you know, in some cases even candidates were trying to get into offices in emerging markets. So today we're going to speak with a candidate from the United States uh, based in California, a PhD graduate who made an attempt to move from the US into McKinsey and eventually ended up in the Middle Eastern offices of McKinsey. So um, thank you Peter for joining us in this call. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So is there anything that you want to add to the brief introduction I gave on you before we can have this discussion about your experiences? Um, no, that was pretty much it. Um, just finished a PhD in, uh, in a school in California and uh, made attempts twice to join MBB and uh, this time around it was successful thanks to the help that I got from Firms Consulting. It's our pleasure. So you have a science engineering background and you made a decision to go into management consulting. So let's look at right at the beginning. Why did you, why, what prompted you to make that decision? Um, well, originally, um, when I came to the United States, um, I am an international student in the United States. I didn't know much about consulting, to be honest. Um, I heard a lot about it from friends um, who um, were going to business school. Um, so I decided to pick a course, um, pick up a course at business school, a management consulting course. Um, and when I actually went through the course and uh, by the end of the course did a, an actual project for a startup company, uh, with a couple of other MBA students, um, I started to notice that the logic behind the process that the consultants take is very similar to what we do in, in, in a PhD. Um, and uh, I became very interested in it as, as a potential to, um, as, as a potential uh, future career. Um, and I started to learn more about it. Um, I specifically started to learn about MBB and um, because um, these companies had um, great clients and uh, were very well known, there was plenty of information to learn. Um, and that's how I got into trying to apply to McKinsey, Bain and BCG. So the bulk of your learning took place from this course which then sparked your interest to God and read more and speak to people and so on. Is that a good understanding? Yes, absolutely. Did you have a strong network in the consulting firms to improve your knowledge or is that something that you've had to struggle to develop? At the beginning, I had none. I knew no one um, at, at any consulting firm. So I had to basically start from scratch. Um, I had to contact people. I tried alumni network. Um, I tried LinkedIn. Um, I, I basically tried everything possible um, to find people and by the time that um, I was applying, which um, was a couple of years after I took that course, um, I knew quite a few people. I knew, let's say, about 10, 15 people who worked in consulting firms. Okay, sounds good. So let's look at the chronology of events here, right? Okay. Your first attempt into you know, MBB, talk us through how you planned for that. What did you do and you know, what were the things you wished people had told you before you started that journey? Um, that's a great question. Uh, my first attempt um, was very strange, was a very strange ex experience. I focused a lot on resume. So I spent six months preparing my resume, uh, spent a lot of time on it, but since I was not still very familiar with the interview process, 
Um, that's all I did. And, and the interviews, to be honest, came out of nowhere. Um, I didn't do much networking. Uh, I didn't do anything except really submit a resume online. Um, and when the interviews started, I had no idea what to do. So basically the first time around, um, I wish I knew somebody who had gone the same route mm -hmm. from a PhD to consulting and could give me some advice on how to prepare for case interviews. Um, and could, get, could tell me that I actually do need to start preparing for case interviews a few months before the um, recruiting cycle because I did not really prepare. Um, so I got the offers from two of the three big firms um, for interview, but um, basically I had no experience doing the interviews, which um, didn't work out that well for me. Okay, and when you say it didn't work out so well, obviously you're referring to the cases, right? Yes. So you went through the first round for both firms and it was yes. unsuccessful. What do you think were the things in those interviews that most surprised you, things you didn't expect that came out in those interviews? When I mean didn't expect, I'm referring to the types of questions you were given versus your preparation. Well, as I mentioned, I didn't have much preparation. Um, uh, as for McKinsey, it was a problem-solving test that really got me, which mm -hmm. was the first round. Um, I noticed that it wasn't that the questions were very difficult. It was the fact that I was not comfortable with business ideas and business jargon to the point that I should have been. Um, so basically these are mini cases and I, I did not have the ability to go through these mini cases and um, finish them on time, which led to um, getting a rejection from McKinsey after that first uh, problem solving test. With the other firm, with Bain, um, the questions I could, I, it was, I think the, the biggest problem for me was the fact that I looked at everything as a problem to solve for me. Um, for coming from a science background, they give you a question, um, everything is given and the unknowns can be, um, you know, pretty much clear. Um, all you need to do is to use some equations and use the known data and get the unknown information. Uh, with, with consulting, this was completely different. It was a very con conversational process that I was not used to. Yeah, BCG calls it facilitated brainstorming. And really, you know, the problem you highlight, you highlighted two problems. The first one was the PST. And yeah. PhDs actually do worse in PSTs, not because they are, you know, analytically less gifted. No, they're probably the most gifted group, but they take it for granted that the language and skill set will be something they are comfortable with they don't necessarily prepare for it specifically, and I can see that being having been an initial problem for you. Yeah. And for the second one, um, I can see it also being a problem whereby if you're never told you meant to solve the case with the interviewer, how do you know you meant to do that? Exactly. So it's just, you know, as you say, someone should have, you know, guided you through that. So let's look at the second, uh, uh, the second attempt you had, right? And let's go through the chronology of events here. And uh, point out the ones that you thought maybe were more important or less important. So let's start with resume and cover letter. Okay. Did you, did we redo the resume or cover letter? Do you, do you feel that there were enough changes made to have made it a worthwhile exercise? Absolutely. I think uh, <clears throat> on the surface of it, um, we, we, we spent a lot of time, as, as, as you know, um, um, over a course of a few months to prepare the resumes and cover letters, cover letters specific to each firm, 
And I think on the surface of it, it's that um, when when the recruiters see the see your um, resume and cover letter, they're impressed because the, of the formatting and and the quality of the information provided and all of that. But I think it has a certain advantage doing this process over a period of several months. And it's in a, in, in a very strange way, it prepares you for the fit side of the interview as well, because during preparing the cover letter and during preparing your resume, the bullet points. You have to really sit down and think about what makes you a good fit for consulting and why you really these firms. Um, at the beginning, I think I was more excited about just joining MBB. They're great firms and all of that. Um, but really that deep knowledge that you develop over a period of several months about these firms and about yourself, it really helped me for the fit interview. Um, section. Um, I remember very specifically during my fit interviews um, being asked the question of why I wanted to join um, and uh, why these specific firms and I had very very well prepared answers not because I really tried to prepare very good answers which I should have but I honestly didn't have time to but because over the course of several months that we prepared the resume and cover letter I really got to know myself and my motivation and my reasons for doing this. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's the reason we spend so much time on the resume and cover letter. Because while you are learning about yourself, we're also learning about you. And I think yeah. the most important thing is that I need to know what buttons I can press to get the right kind of reaction and motivation from you. I'm not saying that, you know, there were any motivational issues with you as a candidate, but we don't, when, you, when you just start off working with someone, we really have no idea who you are. That's correct. We don't know at all how you are motivated, how you're going to respond to feedback, but the resume and cover letter is such a, a innocent way of doing it because we're discussing things about you. There's no wrong answer. Everything has to be a right answer because it's your background. If we ask you a question about, tell us about why you did this for some experience you had, um, you know, you can be comfortable giving us the answer because there's never going to be a wrong answer. At the same time, it builds your confidence, you learn more about yourself, but we also learn more about you. So now let's move out of the resume and cover letter, right? Did you, have, yeah. did you feel you had to network more in the second attempt, or were you able to leverage the relationships you created in the first cycle? Absolutely. <clears throat> Surprisingly, this time around, um, I, I got my interview through networking, just really leveraging my, my connections. And if there is one thing that I... I wish I had done better looking back at the whole process what it was networking why do you say I that? Say because I, I, I did network I, I, I still don't think I networked enough in the US mm -hmm. um, and I think I could have done a better job um, I understand that I, I went through this this mental challenge um, it is challenging to just cold call someone yes. especially a partner of a big firm um, that you've made such a big deal out of and it's very intimidating and to get over that intimidation to actually start sending those emails and uh, be able to have a good uh, solid conversation with a partner of a big firm on the phone while uh, you know you're trying to build your network is, is a task that requires a lot of exercise. So you um, raised a couple of interesting points here, so I'm going to just touch on a few. We always push people to network with partners and, and you talk about how difficult it is and you know from my side, I used to be a partner, so I, I really struggle to understand the challenges people face when I get them to network with a partner. Maybe you want to elaborate on the challenges you face, you know, internally driven by yourself, but also just the, com the, the obstacles you faced, even if they were just like really small things, but they were meaningful to you. 
Absolutely. I'll, 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 I'll do, um, I'll, I'll talk about it from a general perspective first, and then I'll give you some specific examples of, of how it turned out for me. Um, in general, I think, at, at least for me, it was intimidating because these firms, um, I made such a big deal out of these firms, and not, not, not that these firms are not fantastic and they're not great in what they're doing, but you tend to really uh, make this image of these firms that's, uh, that's a little bit out of proportion, um, and because of that, when you get to talk one-on-one -on -one with, with a partner, um, it becomes very intimidating. Um, I think my specific challenges, um, and, I, and I talked to a few partners from all these firms, was to kind of create that connection, create that, um, I don't know how to explain it, create that um, vibe mm -hmm. between the two of us, that friendly vibe and that interest. I, I managed to do it with a couple of partners, and I, I would say that's what got me the interviews. But to reach that point, it took a long time. Um, and specifically getting past that period of just constantly asking questions from these partners, um, it, 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 was a, it was a bit of a challenge. I think the, a lot of the partners, this, I don't know what you thought of it when you were a partner, um, but a lot of these partners are so used to this process of candidates calling and asking questions. Um, and I think many of them do it but don't necessarily want to do it. So trying to show them that you're different and you have to, something to bring to the table and you could have an interesting conversation with them is was a big challenge for me at least. Oh, I agree with that. I mean, I don't want to talk about my experience. I'll elaborate a little bit on the end about it on the end, but maybe do you have any examples of specifically memorable moments in your networking? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 there was a partner from Bain that um, I uh, wanted to talk with, so I sent him an email. We, we set up a phone call. Um, and I remember very specifically, he picks up the phone and I said, hi, um, Mr. Um, just, just one, just a name. I'm, I'm not going to say the name. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, and, um, I believe you've looked at my resume and cover letter and basically I, I gave my pitch and then, um, he was very, very standard. He was just like, um, okay, uh, thanks for calling. How may I help you? Wow, and I that's think tough. I, and that moment, I, I was put at a very tough point. Uh, I, it, it seemed to me that the guy does not want to be on the phone, which wasn't true. At the end of, at the, end of um, the whole process, this guy helped me tremendously. Um, but it was very tough for me, so I, I went back to what was familiar to me. I had a list of questions, so I started asking the list of questions. He gave me the answers. I had half hour of his time, um, but the call finished in 10 minutes. Um, he was just not a talkative person. And I, at that point, I realized I need a lot more practice to be able to make this conversation a dialogue between the two of us as opposed to me constantly asking questions and them just answering the questions and then saying goodbye. Yeah, so you know, what you're saying is you were prepared, but you were prepared for a certain kind of discussion. Absolutely. I was prepared for a much friendlier, livelier discussion. I, wasn't, I would say that I wasn't prepared to lead the discussion. Yes, and more than that, I noticed that one of the other things you pointed out is that when you face a situation that makes you nervous in inverted commas, you default towards asking questions. Yes, I default to what I should not be doing. Which is what everyone does. You know, everyone has this you know, fight or flight mechanism. In your case, when you weren't sure what to do, you defaulted towards asking questions, which I think is a, is a kind of a, it's one of the safer things to do as a default mechanism, but other candidates 
start you know messing up their words and all kinds of things. So it is a process of you being able to handle every conversational style you faced with the with the different partners you you spoke to, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. so let, let's just step back a minute before we talk about how you prepared for cases and so on. You initially applied to an American office for, uh, yeah. for McKinsey and you were unsuccessful. Yeah. And then you applied to the Middle East. Why do you think you were so quickly, in a matter of months I think it was, able yeah. to get an interview in the Middle Eastern office? It's a very competitive office. You know, I, when people listen to this, they should not think that you just apply to the Middle East, it's, it's easy. It's not, because in many ways it's more competitive than the U.S. offices. So what allowed you to make that jump so quickly? Um, very, very strong. I went to, I went straight to the top guy and top partner in the Middle East office and, and asked for an interview, um, basically. And um, So maybe, did, maybe just step back and, and tell us, without giving away the details, but how did you wow. do that? Because when, when, when I hear that and, and everyone else hears it, I mean, I know what you did, but others may not really understand. Because you, yeah. you actually didn't know him very well. You had met him before, but maybe talk us through that sequence. Well, I went to a mode of really... I, I would call it a very desperate mode, um, and, and not in a bad desperate mode, but I, I wanted to really exhaust all my options. I felt like this is the last year I, I, I want to try this, and I really want to be successful. So I started asking family, friends, everybody I knew if they could put me in touch with a, a partner somewhere in one of these firms. Um, and the way this happens was that it happened um, that a, a, a mutual friend of um, my family and this partner um, knew about me trying to apply, so he set up um, kind of an email conversation. He CC'd me on that email and CC'd the partner. The partner asked for, um, at the beginning, he asked for my reasons to want to join the McKinsey Middle East office. Um, so I prepared an email, I sent it to him, then he asked for a resume and cover letter, um, and then eventually he, he liked my resume and cover letter um, and said that um, he could he could uh, offer an interview if I want one. Um, and that's basically, this whole process took, I think, about a month. Um, but um, So it's so not, interesting because it was a relationship you had two years ago as well. Yes, and I never even thought of using it. It's quite interesting that how your mindset shifts because uh, when I obviously I've been speaking to you this entire time, but I never felt that you were desperate in the traditional sense because you were definitely in control, you had confidence and so on. But I would maybe a better way is to say you were more efficient at using what you had. That's very true, and I just I, I just wanted to exhaust all my options. So two years ago, I didn't feel comfortable to go that that far in terms of reaching out to people I knew to to set up an interview for me. I, I thought, you know what, I want to do this on my own, I want to do this myself, um, that kind of mentality. This time around, um, I thought, this is, this is the last time I want to apply, um, and um, you're right, I wasn't desperate. I mean, um, I had interviews and offers from other firms uh, outside consulting, so I knew I'm going to end up with a good job. Um, but I just wanted to exhaust all my options. Um, this time, I reached out. Um, and uh, it worked very well. And just on that point, you raise a very good point. It's something we always tell people is that when we get people to apply, we always tell them apply to weaker firms as well because when you get the offer, it automatically changes your mindset. You, you know you have a safety cushion. And when you have that safety cushion often offer from someone else, your mindset changes dramatically and you feel as if you have more control of the situation. 
in your case you had something similar going on so you know that balance was taking place there so let's shift in and talk about your case preparation right yeah maybe just uh, talk us through how you prepared for things we don't have to go through every detail but the things that you think are the most important in your preparation and the things that maybe you wished you had known the first time you had prepared um, well, the second second time, which um, when I was working with you in firms consulting, it was a completely different experience. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is that um, the first time I actually tried some of the products out there, um, even though I had only two weeks to prepare for interviews, um, and and I could see how I could see how helpful some of them can be. Um, but this time around, the preparation was in two ways very special. One, it was incredibly systematic. So it, it, it is designed, I think, for really to take anyone from a level of not understanding things and not being prepared to, to really prepare them very well. And I think if you're willing to put the hard work, um, you will learn. And um, there, is, there is no other way. There is no other way. You, you, you will end up learning how to do the case interview very well. So that in one way it, it's very special. And the second way I think when you're working with a coach on a weekly basis and they take that very systematic approach and even beyond that they try to tailor it towards your strengths and your weaknesses, um, that, that is really important. And I think the main advantage of having a coach working with you weekly comes into effect specifically when during this process of preparing for something for, for a case interview over a period of several months, there were many times that I, I was tired, I kind of lost motivation. This is a grueling process. Um, and every single time when, when you talk to your coach, they know what to tell you to make you take that extra step. Um, and put in that extra effort, put in that extra time. And I think that specifically really helped me. So obviously some fatigue was setting in here because that's an interesting observation. We see that with all you know, candidates. No matter how motivated they are, no matter how excited they are, there is a point where they reach an energy barrier whereby it becomes a drain on them to just get themselves going. And it seems like you, at times, you also felt that. Absolutely, because I was, I was trying to prepare for something that was not even a given. I didn't even know if I'm going for sure. Nobody can guarantee you an interview. You can prepare very well, but when you don't know that you even have an interview and you're trying to put in hours and hours on a, on a daily basis preparing for this, it, it becomes very mentally challenging. Or at least for me, it was very difficult to push myself that, that little bit extra because everybody's preparing really well. Everybody's putting in the time. Um, so it, it just comes down to that bit of extra time that you put in, that bit of extra effort that you put in to get the offer. That's what I think. At the end of the day, it comes to practice and, and really hard work. So let's talk about some of the, the case techniques here, right? Because yeah. you know, candidates always struggle the first time they see the way we do estimation. They always struggle the first time we teach them how to brainstorm. The first time we you know, teach them how to do the BCG decision tree approach, then we switch it to the McKinsey approach. Yeah. What did you feel the first time you saw those things? I mean, how easy was it for you to use them? If it wasn't easy, it's fine. But how did you get your head around them? Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll answer this in three parts. I'll talk about the estimation and then brainstorming and then the, the total cases. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the first time I saw the estimation approach, I absolutely loved it. Um, it is it is very elegant, and it, it is impossible to mess up a question using that approach. It is logically makes complete sense, and uh, I, I just really liked it. And um, you, as you practice, you notice that you keep getting better and better. Um, the one thing that I noticed in my case was that I was picking up on the technique of the estimation questions. However, it took me a long time to pick up on the communication while I was doing the estimation questions, um, which I think was, was a very important part of doing the estimation. It's, it's that you pick up the logic and, and the analytical way of doing it very quickly. However, the communication takes a while um, um, to kind of settle. Um, the brainstorming, I would say it was the most difficult part for me. Um, it is it is very difficult. You've been trained to think in a very specific way, and then with the brainstorming questions, I I had to push myself to really think in the opposite direction of how I used to think, and it was the most challenging. I've you know it's still I, I practice it sometimes, and it's still fun for me to pick up anything or any question and try to brainstorm. Um, and and I'm sure you know I hope it, it gets better and better. Um, in the future, but it's, it, it is a process that I really enjoyed and it is very well explained in the videos, but it is very hard to master. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't know about other candidates. I think I still you know, have a lot to improve with the brainstorming. Um, and the, the cases, initially, I really liked the BCG approach and I think I felt personally that I was very good at the BCG approach and not very good with the McKinsey approach. Um, and first of all, I have to say, going through Bain and McKinsey interviews, the, the McKinsey approach is spot on. That is exactly how a, an actual interview goes on. It, it, it is incredible how similar the practice that I went through was to the actual interview that I went through. Um, but going back to what I was talking about, um, I thought I'm good at the, the CG approach and not very good at the McKinsey approach. It turned out that in a real interview, I do a lot better at a McKinsey approach um, as opposed to a BCG approach. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, which I was surprised, but I realized that uh, when the interviewer leads, I feel a lot more comfortable as opposed to me leading, which, which is what happened with the Bain interview where, where I did not do very well. Uh, with the McKinsey interview, I thought I did very well, um, and it was always um, interviewer-led. So let's just, uh, let's just capture some, some of the key things here, right? Estimation well. cases, um, you did well. I can recall the, all the sessions, and I have your file in front of me. You yeah. also, I thought, communicated better than most PhDs because you don't freeze, my observation. You're never the kind of guy who just freezes. You, it's easy to have a conversation even through the most difficult sessions. I always tell yeah. people the first rule for doing cases is I must enjoy it, me, the, the interviewer. That's true. If you can make the interviewer enjoy it, he will go out of his way to help you. And I think you did that well. And I think when people listen to this recording, they need to understand that you're not doing cases for your benefit. And I'm not sure if it was, you know, the California style or something, but I do find candidates from some parts of the world are more relaxed in the way they do things. Yeah. They just have a natural vibe. I mean, Australian candidates, for example, are very, very easy to work with. 
Yeah. They are never stressed. It must be the surfing culture or something like that. It could be the surfing, could yeah. <laughs> Brainstorming is difficult for everyone. Yeah. It is, there's no one I've ever met in my entire life who says, ah, let's just do one or two sessions and it's going to be easy. It doesn't work that way. Uh, to answer your question, um, Peter, it does become easy, but in a slightly different way. What you'll become good at is redesigning questions and coming up with the right answers. Because what you now have been trained to do is come up with a fairly good questions and then come yeah. up with good answers. But as you become more and more senior in McKinsey, you'll notice that a lot of your effort will be around identifying the right question. And yeah. once you get that really tight, disciplined question, the structuring becomes very easy. So it, it becomes easy. And, you know, McKinsey is huge into brainstorming, so it will be a big part of that. In the full cases, um, you can choose, you know, if you can, you can sit in a McKinsey case and you can do it in the BCG approach. It doesn't really matter as long as you have a way of communicating it. Some people like to be led, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on the way you look at it. It's just natural. They like it. And the good thing is, you know, McKinsey, which many would regard as a top consulting firm, likes that approach. It worked for you. Other yeah. people don't like it at all, and they just don't do well in those interviews. Yeah. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know. If, you, if the style works for you, then you're going to thrive at that firm. If the style doesn't work for you, then you'll thrive at another firm. So I think it's, it's not that important whether you, you succeed at one, but if you are weak at one, then you need to understand you may not have a shot at one of the firms. That's, that makes sense. That's the key takeoff on that. It, because uh, to be honest, when I started consulting, I was much, much better at, well, for obvious reasons, you know, at the BCG approach because yeah. I like leading. Yeah. But when someone else is leading, I'd get a bit, you know, agitated because, you know, this was this was my role. You know, this is what I do. So I think yeah. the, the the main takeout here is that you got to find the style that works for you. In your case, I felt that you used a hybrid. You weren't exactly doing a BCG approach. You weren't exactly doing a McKinsey approach. You kind of mixed it up here and there. Yeah. And that's good. You know, I always tell people that you know you're doing well in the coaching program when you don't need it anymore and you're doing your own thing and it works for you. Yeah. That's the key I thing. Yeah, I would add one thing, and I think it, this is my experience. I, it, it might be just you know uh, my perspective, and um, you might not agree with this, but I think people with more business experience and more business common sense um, might feel more comfortable with a BCG-style approach. Um, when I was going through the Bain interview, I noticed that they pay a lot of attention to your business common sense. Business judgment, yeah. Which, which I didn't have much of it because of being a PhD and doing science my whole life. Um, with McKinsey, things were a little bit easier in the sense, at least for me, in the sense that I, they kind of, I didn't have to do the big picture thinking all the time. Even though at times they would ask me, okay, how, how would you in general, like, you know, how would you go about solving this problem and questions like that. But then very quickly they would narrow down on very specific issues. And, and I would say the majority of my interviews were brainstorming questions. They kept asking, okay, this is a problem, brainstorm how you would do it. Um, and that was the majority of my interviews at McKinsey. While at Bain, it was the partner who was interviewing me was very quiet and just completely leaving up to me um, to decide where to go with the case. 
which became confusing which um, at some times and it wasn't very easy for me what you say is true and and I want to I'm just going to reword some of it so people listening just understand because you you put in you put in some very good observations and insights here which is you know a very good way to analyze it because what you said is entirely true about McKinsey yeah. McKinsey is very creative. I mean, I, I think they're probably one of the most creative consulting firms. But the way they are creative is not by you throwing out your knowledge that you read from reading The Economist and so on. No. You're creative by brainstorming creative structures. That's how you demonstrate your creativity at McKinsey. They give you a problem, ask you to brainstorm, and you need to brainstorm something that will arrive at enough, you know, basically break down the problem uh, accurately and then identify the prioritized areas. And you are right, yeah. Bain is obsessed, I would say, in a good way, I don't miss in a bad way, is obsessed with business judgment because their feeling is that if you can make these, in inverted commas, educated guesses, you will be a good consultant. And to a large extent, BCG is also very heavily focused on business judgment. And you are right, you know, there's no way you can guess some of these things unless you have a degree in business. Or you're yeah. reading business all the time. So I completely agree with you there. You know, when people are preparing for a McKinsey interview and the year McKinsey is interested in creativity, that means McKinsey is interested in how you can creatively brainstorm. And if you cannot brainstorm, you cannot display that creativity. And you are right. The McKinsey partners are very tight in terms of keeping you focused on the areas of the case that they want you to focus on and that makes sense. And if you start stepping out there, they very quickly and politely shepherd you back into the right area. So I, I agree with all those points, and it's in a good observations on your side. Let's talk about fit, because at the beginning you mentioned you didn't prepare for fit very well, and I remember you know, us having a few discussions on fit. So yeah. if you weren't able to prepare for fit so, so well, what was the, the process you used to answer those fit questions, and why do you think it was successful for you? Well, I, the, this is just, a, just, a, just so you know, I, the, the, the feedback I got, because when I was going through the McKinsey rounds at every stage, um, I, I got a phone call at the end of the day um, to tell me uh, that I moved on to the next round, and then they would give me feedback. Um, and every single time, the feedback I got on my fit uh, questions was that it is excellent, just the way you answered the fit questions today do it, do it, you know, tomorrow, and you'll be fine. Um, so I got very good feedback from the fit questions. By saying that I didn't prepare very well, I mean, I, I would rephrase it and say I prepared very well, but I did not spend, let's say, two weeks of concentrated preparation for fit interviews. It, it happened over a period of several months when I was preparing my resume, when I was preparing my cover letter, or when I was sending this email to this Middle East partner to tell them why I want to work for McKinsey. I really sat down and thought hard about why I really want to go and work for McKinsey, for example, or why I really want to do consulting. It, it got to, I got obsessed with this to a point that I thought, you know what, I, I will go through this exercise and maybe by the end of it, I decide that I don't want to do consulting. But I have to sit down at least once and really think through this whole process with myself and make sure that this is what I want and, uh, and that this is the next chapter of my life. Because I was so obsessive about it over such a period of long time, I think it, it helped a lot. And um, I would say the Bain Fit questions were very light. Um, um, it was mostly 
why why you want to do consulting and why you want to switch from switch from a PhD to consulting, which I was very well prepared for. Uh, with the McKinsey Fit questions, it was a very different experience, and I think you you mentioned it in one of your podcasts actually. Um, and it's exactly like that. It's like an interrogation. Um, so I don't think there is any particular way you can really prepare for those questions because they ask you questions based on the material you give them. You tell them a story, they and, and, and they start picking through that story. They start asking questions. There's no way you would you could predict what kind of questions they're going to ask. You just have to really know yourself very well, know your skills very well, um, and know why you're doing what you're doing, why you're going to consulting, why um, you want to, you know, why, you, why are you good at teamwork? Why are you, um, you know, why, why are you trying to make this transition? Um, so I, I, I think you have to be prepared very well for the fit questions, but it's a process that takes a long time. And uh, from my experience at McKinsey, it's a process that's very important. They, they put a lot of emphasis on the fit interviews. I, I would say 15 minutes of um, our 45 or minutes or hour um, interviews were always focused on fit. Yeah, it's called the digging technique. The, the, the rule is that if, if a candidate prepares very well, it doesn't matter because they cannot prepare for every single question McKinsey is going to ask them. So at some point, you're going to see a sincere answer because the candidate couldn't have prepared for it. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah. And obviously, you handle that well. So let's step out of the interviews a little bit, Janet. I just want to talk about some of your experiences of you know, interviewing, networking in the United States versus the Middle East. Anything that stands out for you as the differences, you know, pros, cons, benefits, disadvantages between the different regions? Um, the only thing that really, I think, is, is, was different in the whole process for me is that um, it was a little bit easier for me to connect with the partners in the Middle East. And I think it is because, um, you know, I'm originally Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was easier for me to have conversations with them. Um, um, and I kind of, I felt that I clicked with a couple of the partners. Um, and it was just, it was a very good vibe. Um, as opposed to in the U.S., I was not that comfortable. Um, when I was interviewing for the U.S. offices. But that's the only major thing that I think was different, and, and, and I think it was just because of my origins. Um, anything else, I mean, it, it was completely similar. The problem-solving test, mm -hmm. um, the interviews, how tough they were, um, you know, the coaching sessions that they give you, um, the level of, you know, professionalism that they handle everything with um that it's, it's it's an incredible experience um they're very professional they're very good at what they do very efficient um and i just really enjoyed the whole process but i would say that was the only difference that for me was noticeable and obviously you know that's a personal difference it's not something Absolutely. others would experience you know Absolutely. a candidate applying from you know we have candidates for example from france and so on INSEAD graduates applying to the Middle East, they would have a completely different lens that they would examine the differences to. They may not even see any differences. On the other hand, they may see many differences. So that's enough to wrap up here by talking about you know, preparation for McKinsey. Obviously, quite a few more months to go or a few more months to go, but you know, are you doing anything special to prepare or are you just going on vacations? No, I'm actually trying to do a few things to prepare. 
One is that I'm trying, I've, I've prepared a reading list, mm -hmm. uh, two of the books on that reading list. Um, it, it, it has only four books on it. Um, two of them are you introduced, uh, uh, McKinsey's Marvin Bauer and The Mind of a Strategist. Mm -hmm. The other two, one of them is called um, The Lords of Strategy, which is kind of a consulting history. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is uh, Minto's, Barbara Minto's Pyramid Principle. Okay, those uh, are good books. Yeah, so these are the four books I'm reading. Um, I am trying to kind of get familiar with the Middle East economy, history, um, kind of um, things of that nature so that when I walk into that region and I start working, um, I, I, I can start conversations with people and, um, um, you know, have things to talk about with people. Um, and apart from that, I'm just, you know, trying to kind of brush up on my Excel sheets, um, um, skills and things of that nature. That's, that's mostly what I'm trying to do. Well, I think you're doing the right things. Um, you know, I always tell people when you want to prepare for McKinsey, you want to focus on understanding philosophy of consulting the region and so on, because you can never predict what you will need to know in advance. That's true. It's going to be like a tidal wave when it comes. It's just is that way. You can never predict, right? no matter how many times you, someone explains it to you, you're never going to know what it's like until you experience it. It will be a pleasant experience. You know, It's going to be amazing the first time you walk into that client and you can see the amount of respect they give you because you're a McKinsey person and the fact that you can tell them what you think and they'll be taking notes, right? Yeah. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling. I remember the first time I walked into a room with a bunch of bankers, I think it was, um, and there's like 15 of them in the room and they all got these yellow writing pads and when I say something they will flip it and write it down. I thought that was quite amusing. <laughs> but it, it's just, you know, people always talk about, you know, what is the value of McKinsey? The, the, the value of McKinsey is its values. The fact that yeah. the firm has stuck to its values better than any other consulting firm in the world, you know, McKinsey is very tight on its values. Yes, it's had scandals and so on, but in a sense that will only make it even more obsessive about its values. And to be frank, every consulting firm in the world has had its own scandal, so it's not as if you know, McKinsey is a standout here. Final point I want to discuss, what is your game plan? I mean, obviously, you have ideas of where you want to take your consulting career up to either up to partnership or even after partnership. What do you see yourself doing in the next 10, 15 years? Or is it something that you're just going to play it by ear? Um. You know, that's that's an excellent question. I've thought a lot about this. Um, clearly, I, in, in 10 years, I would like to combine my experience from consulting and uh, my PhD um, in engineering and try to come up with a way to kind of consolidate the two and uh, um, find something to do along those lines. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I, I hear a lot people have already made up their minds. A lot of my friends who have gone through the same process, they want to do private equity or venture capital, things of that nature. Um, I, would, I would like to try something more entrepreneurial. Um, but um, you never know what happens. Um, one thing I do know is that um, I want to really take my experience um, very seriously at McKinsey. And if I decide to separate from the firm at, at any point, I want it to be on my terms. Um, and uh, so for that, I, I think I, I will need to put in a lot of time and effort um, to kind of make sure that um, I can kind of dictate what my next move is as opposed to the situation. Um, tell me, you know, with the firm and my, my status at the firm to tell me uh, what my next move is. 
Yeah, I think that's a very, very mature way of thinking about it. Um, don't pick sectors early to specialize, because to be honest, every sector is interesting if you if you do it if you do interesting projects there. Yeah. So you know, when people say they're going to private equity, they're going to banking and you know venture capital, uh, I think you're limiting yourself because yeah. you could find the most boring sector to you today to be the most fascinating sector after you spend time doing some interesting project there. That's exactly what I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of business experience. I, I mean, I, I have none. And um, this is a good opportunity for me to learn. Um, and uh, frankly, I don't know what I will like. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping an open mind at this point um, and just trying to focus on doing the best that I can do at McKinsey. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, when I, if I tell you, you know, you need to get... You need to get rotation in sectors. McKinsey is going to give that to you. Rotation across regions. You're in the Middle East. You're going to be traveling a lot. That's you know you're going to be all over the place. It's, it'll be exciting. The one thing that you need to do, you know, we've discussed this before, is you got to find a mentor within the firm within the first six months. Yeah. Don't rush because you know you need to get to know people very well before you decide this is someone who wants to put your benefit first. But I think that is something you have to focus on. And you know we've spoken about it. So. Obviously, an interesting journey for you, right? Two years until you got where you wanted to go. Is there anything else, words of advice that you have for listeners? Um, the only thing that I have is is really consistency. Um, that's that's I think is I think is the key. Um, if it doesn't matter, uh, it, it really matters what what you do, uh, how you practice, and all of that. But at the end of the day, when you have all those tools the right tools, you have to be very consistent at using them case after case after case and fit interview after fit interview after fit interview. You have to be able to produce a very consistent image, I think, to be able to get the offer. Um, and I think for me, at least, that was the key. I was able to produce that very consistent image, uh, which I think they liked. Um, and. Um, that's that's pretty much it. And best of luck who, to to all people who are listening and who who will be applying.